is my sense that the Holy Spirit is doing something special here this morning. And we're standing together before we pray to give ourselves a posture of receiving from the Lord what he has tailor-made for each one of us. And so maybe you want to put your palms up to heaven while I pray. Lord, move in our midst as you have been by your precious Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for those who are very much in pain this morning. Maybe, Phil, they can't tell anybody, but they've been telling you. And they're learning about a counseling center where they can go and be helped. Lord, others of us are being moved to your spirit to regularly support this ministry each month. Give us the follow-through. Lord, whatever you want to give us today, we receive it. We receive it for your glory, that this incredible body of Christ would be built up to the degree that we could be a blessing to the people on Collins Avenue and every other street and avenue and road of this city, that we would be known as a place that loves those that are downtrodden, discouraged, confused, in pain. Oh, Lord, we would receive from you now, from your word, for where there is entrance of your word, there is light. Shine light into all of our hearts and minds and lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name and the incredible body of Christ said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. He came to me about six months ago in my study. He was looking for money. He said that he was disabled. He had had a work-related accident where his neck and back were deemed severe enough that he was disabled. He talked about not having enough money for food. And so he wanted to know if the church would help him with food. I told him that it is our practice to help people in need with food, non-perishable food, canned items and pastas and things like that, and that there was a pantry down the hallway that I would take him down to, and I could give him two boxes of non-perishable groceries. As we were walking down to the pantry, it occurred to me that these boxes were extremely heavy because they're canned goods. And so when I got to the room and he was in the room with me, I started to pick up two boxes because God has given me a strong and healthy back. And he said, wait a minute, I'll take one. I said, what about your back and neck? He said, I'll be fine. He then carried his box out to the parking lot with me in a low trunk. He reached forward with his heavy box of canned goods like this. And there was no, no sign of anything by way of pain or problem. I said to him, looks like you're okay. He said, could I come back next month for some more food? I said, no, <laughs> you can't. Because this is something I have to be careful about and let of the Holy Spirit to be a good steward of the things that God's people give. And sir, I don't think you're legitimate. So this would be one-time help. Some weeks later, he came back 
looking for food. He must have been hoping I wasn't working that day. (laughs) He must have been hoping maybe if I was working, I wouldn't remember what I told him. But I did remember. I said, I'm sorry, sir. I can't help you. What I didn't tell you in this story was he also talked about visiting his mother in Florida three times a year by airplane. When we counsel people, we need God's discernment. We need Holy Spirit discernment. And Holy Spirit discernment involves listening well, observing well, comforting well, and not facilitating sin. Turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3. As you turn to 1 Kings chapter 3, I want to remind you that Solomon, the third king of the nation of Israel, David's son, was a unique king because God granted him something that was incredibly precious, which was godly wisdom. And as you're turning to 1 Kings chapter 3, we want to see together how this all transpired because every counselor requires God's wisdom as found in God's word. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Then Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was where the great high place was. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, thou hast shown great loving kindness to thy servant David, my father, according as he walked before thee in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward thee. And thou hast reserved for him this great loving kindness that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king in place of my father David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people who cannot be numbered or counted for multitude. So... Give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of thine? And it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for life of your enemies, but have asked... For yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one 
like you before you, nor shall one arise after you. And I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. If we are going to counsel anyone, and it's not just the staff of our Christian Counseling Center who counsel individuals, we all counsel counsel individuals. If we are going to counsel individuals, we are going to need discernment from God. I have a first point for you in this message this morning. Believers with discernment see themselves as being God's servants. They are humble. Believers with discernment see themselves as being God's servants, and therefore they are humble. See verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king in place of my father, David. Yet I am but a little child, and I do not know how to go out or to come in. Do you see the paradox there? The apparent contradiction. Here he is, king of Israel. And yet he says, I'm a little kid. I don't know how to come in and out. Believers with discernment see themselves as being God's servants, and they are humble. He was humble. I have learned to love the Arnettes. It's not hard, is it? It's not hard to love the Arnettes. They're humble people. Scripture oozes out of their daily choices and their speech and their prayers. Very humble servants of the Lord. And believers with discernment like the Arnets see themselves as being God's servants and they see themselves as being humble. Of course, this is God's will for each one of us who know Christ as Lord and Savior, that we would be humble. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Will you notice that we are to humble ourselves? Because do you know what? If we do not humble ourselves, God will humble us. That's how it works. Being humble is a personal choice to humble ourselves. And people with discernment who are used of God to help hurting people humble themselves. You say, I'm not sure I'm a counselor. Pastor Elliot, I'm not sure I'm a counselor. Well, Do you have input in your children's lives? You're a counselor. Your grandchildren, your friends, you're a counselor. Your co-workers, you're a counselor. Your spouse, your radio call-in host when you call a radio station, you're a counselor. And you and I must be discerning. And to be discerning, we must be humble. Humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he can exalt us if he so pleases. Now, you say, how do I humble myself? 
Let me be very practical. How do you humble yourself? How do I humble myself? How do we choose humility so that we'll be discerning and able to help others who need counsel? How do we pick humility? We decide to be second. In every situation, we decide to be second. We decide driving to yield the road. We don't get bent out of shape of eight or ten feet of asphalt that the car ahead of us wants. Give it to them. How do we pick humility? We take the longest line at the bank, Brother Clem. We go to the bank in Nova Scotia where he used to work, and we take the longest line. We take the longest line at the grocery store. We take the longest line at BTC. We choose to humble ourselves. We take down a trophy. Maybe you have a literal, tangible trophy somewhere at your office or in your home. Take it down for a time. Take it down. How do we choose humility? We choose to be on time or early for our appointments, to respect the other person's time. How do we humble ourselves? By holding doors for women, men. Ladies, you humble yourself by dressing modestly around your brothers in Christ. In marriage, we listen more than we talk, and we don't insist on being right. In our friendships, we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. My grandfather, Elliot, taught me from a young age, if you cannot improve on silence, then don't speak. We humble ourselves. We pray about everything. When you're new to a culture and new to a country as we are, we pray about everything. That we don't get hit as we pull out of a parking spot, trying to make sure what side of the road we're supposed to pull out on. Everything. How to find ramen noodles that we can afford. Everything. We pray for everything. People who counsel people have Holy Spirit discernment, and people with Holy Spirit discernment have humility that they choose for themselves. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The second point, still about believers with discernment, is this. Believers with discernment cultivate judging with respect to good and evil. See in verse 9, Solomon praying, So give thy servant an understanding heart. Why? To judge thy people. Why? To discern between good and evil. Believers with discernment who counsel others cultivate a judging with respect to good and evil. And that judging with respect to good and evil is rooted in Scripture. Believers with discernment who counsel cultivate a judging with respect to good and evil as the Bible defines good and evil. Another way of saying that is that believers with discernment who counsel are dripping in Scripture. They're saturated in Scripture. I think one of the most misinterpreted and misunderstood verses in all of God's Word is in Matthew 7, verse 1. 
Matthew 7, verse 1, do not judge lest you be judged. And people misinterpret this and misuse this by saying, I can't say anything about anybody's life. Do not judge lest you be judged. What Jesus was teaching wasn't that we can't identify objective truth and error, evil and good in another person's life. Rather, Jesus was saying, you can't judge their heart. You can't judge their motive. Only God can but we, of course we can judge another person's uh, decisions, whether they're good or evil. Of course we can, and we must. And so do not judge lest you be judged. Matthew 7, 1 is not an injunction that we are not to identify sin in our own life and sin in other people's lives, especially as we have the role of being a counselor. Because just a few verses after Matthew 7, 1, Matthew 7, 5, Jesus taught that after we deal with our own sins, we should address the sins of other people. Right in the same near context, Jesus said, judge the sins of other people after you've looked after judging your own personal and secret sins. Jesus said in verse 5, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And counseling by discerning believers who are saturated with God's word involves taking the speck out of another person's eye. Our counseling center and the Christian counseling center belongs to this church doesn't belong to any other church. It is our ministry. We need to support it financially and prayerfully. Our Christian Counseling Center has counselors, gifted, trained counselors, experienced counselors, and they must be and they actually are Scripture-governed in their daily assessments of their clients. They call good, good, and they call evil, evil without apology. They come to work and put on their scripture-lensed glasses to see what is before them and the people they are trying to help. They are governed by scripture. Beth and I graduated from Dallas Seminary together, and one of the privileges we had studying there was to be taught by two professors Dr. Frank Minereth and Dr. Paul Meyer, who are medical doctors who specialize in the areas of psychology and psychiatry. And one of the verses that Drs. Minereth and Meyer took us to as seminarians to prepare us to biblically counsel people in our ministries was 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. Please go there. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14, in the New Testament, of course, two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. If you need to find it uh, and you're not acquainted with your Bible, the table of contents will tell you where 1 Thessalonians is. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 14. Doctors Minereth and Meyer taught us that this is a very key verse in the New Testament for counseling. And in this verse, well, let me read it first. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. And we urge you, brethren... Admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. 
So basically, this verse identifies three kinds of people. Typically, there are three kinds of people. Number one, there is the unruly. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Who are the unruly? The unruly are the undisciplined and the lazy. The unruly person is undisciplined and lazy. The second kind of person mentioned in this verse is the faint-hearted. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. Who are the faint-hearted? The faint-hearted are the discouraged. The discouraged are the faint-hearted. There's a third kind of person mentioned in this one verse, the weak. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Who are the weak? The weak are persons who are somewhat ignorant as to what the Bible says. And so which would you be most often? Which would I be most often of the three? Unruly, that is undisciplined and lazy? Or would you most often be faint-hearted, prone to discouragement? Or perhaps are you weak, unfamiliar with biblical principles and truth? Our gifted and experienced biblical counselors at our Christian Counseling Center meet these three varieties of people every single day there in the center. The unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak. Pray for our counselors. Pray that they would admonish the unruly's laziness. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. To admonish means to warn to instruct. We might say that, figuratively speaking, to warn and to instruct is to kick in the pants. Sometimes we need a little kick in the pants. There was a dad who had a lazy son, so lazy that the boy was pretty sure the son came up by a flick of a switch. This dad had to correct his son. This dad had to get him out of bed. This dad had to move him into productive activity because it was his dad's duty as a Christian father to warn, to instruct the unruly or the undisciplined or the lazy son. And that is not our son, let me hasten to say. The loving counselor judges and discerns the sin of the undisciplined and lazy person with admonishment, with a figurative kick in the pants. We need to pray for our counselors at our center that they will be able to do just that. But there's a second kind of person. The second kind of person is the faint-hearted And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly and encourage the faint-hearted. There was a lady in our community last week who was so faint-hearted and so discouraged and suicidal that she drove her vehicle off the Montague Wharf. And she and her two young children drowned. So sad. She felt no hope. She needed help. She needed a Bible. Maybe there was people offering that to her. I do not know. We are to 
when we come across a faint-hearted person, a discouraged person, we are to seek to encourage them with the Scriptures, comfort them with the Scriptures, console them with the Scriptures, because they're faint-hearted. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted. There's a third kind of person in this one verse. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Who are the weak? The weak are people who don't know God's Word very well. They're unacquainted with it for whatever reason. They don't know the promises of God for them yet. And these folks are to be helped. They are to be people we take an interest in, people that we take by the hand by doing life with them, whatever that looks like. We take them by the hand by being in their lives as positive influences, and we take them by the hand to the Bible. Maybe we go to the soccer match at the stadium with them to build a friendship, or maybe we go shopping with them to build trust, but we take them by the hand with the goal of taking them to the Bible. With a soft drink or a coffee between us and a Bible in front of each of us. These are the weak. These are the people who need help. These are the people who need us to take an interest in them and to take them by the hand and to take them to the Bible. The unruly, they need warning and instruction. The faint-hearted, they need encouragement and cheering up. And the weak need to be noticed and cared for by being taken to the Scriptures. You can be sure that our counseling center's counselors do all that. You can be sure of it. We need to pray for our counselors to have discernment to judge between their clients, good and bad, solely based on the Bible's evaluation, a Bible that is unchanging and uncompromised truth. Now, before we move off of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, will you notice the last part of that verse? And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Here it is. Be patient with all men. So whether you are admonishing, be patient. Whether you are encouraging, be patient. Whether you are helping, be patient. Be patient. It's part of being humble. It's part of humbling ourselves to be patient with other people. And so... Whether we're in the counseling center working as counselors for that ministry or whether we are lay people counseling others who look to us for answers, we must be patient people. We must be drenched, soaked, marinated, saturated with patience. When people bump into us, we should spill patience. It takes the Spirit of God working in our lives. Amen? Amen. Now let me just face it with you. It's the elephant in the room. I want to be real and blunt. Some people are extremely hard to be patient with. The know-it-alls, the unteachable, the proud, the bigoted, the quick to drain you folks, the cantankerous, 
the non-compliant. These are extremely hard to be patient with. The loudmouths, the blamers, the perpetually negative Eeyores of Winnie the Pooh's world. Just to name a few, there are some people who are extremely difficult to be patient with. I understand that. But in the Holy Spirit's strength and for Jesus Christ's glory, we must be patient with them too. I can only imagine how desperately the counselors at our counseling center need patience with people. I can only imagine. Pray for them friend of mine, talking about difficult people, a friend of mine said, there's some people that could make an angel swear. <laughs> Selah. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Calvary Bible Church has a tremendous ministry that needs prayer and money. It's the Christian Counseling Center. We need to get behind it. We need to get behind it in a intentional and a strong way. What have we seen in 1 Kings 3 and 1 Thessalonians 5? We've seen a couple things. We've seen that discernment is desperately needed in all counseling, and discernment involves listening, observing, at times confronting, but never facilitating sin. We've also seen that believers with discernment see themselves as God's servants, and therefore they humble themselves. We've also seen that believers with discernment cultivate a judging with respect to good and evil. People with this ability to cultivate a judging, accurate judging with respect to good and evil are saturated and dripping in this book. If you're carrying a cup of tea from the kitchen to the table and someone brushes up against you on the way accidentally and you move that cup, Hot tea comes out of the cup. Cheerios doesn't come out of the cup. What's inside you and me comes out of us when we're unexpectedly jostled. And what we're being called to today is scripture saturation with patience. So that when we're jostled in life, that's what comes out of us because the Holy Spirit produces that in us. You have a brochure in your bulletins. I don't want you to throw that out or leave it in the pew this morning. I want you to take that with you. And I want you to read what our center does, because maybe you would benefit from biblical counseling. I believe the only people who couldn't benefit from biblical counseling, the only people that I think have it all together, are people I don't know very well yet. Everybody needs biblical counseling. Keep it for yourself. Read what's offered. Keep it for others. Share it in a non-judgmental way. We want to see the gifted counselors of this ministry of ours serving the Lord, counseling lots of people. It would be great to have to hire some more biblical counselors that this ministry would be solvent and thriving. And people in Nassau would realize this is a place where I can go or I can send people I love to go for help, concrete, biblical help.
I'm going to ask if Pastor and Mrs. Arnett and all the counseling staff would just be on the front here. I want to pray for them. I'm also going to ask if our pastors from our church would join them, the Christian Counseling Center board members and the Christian Counseling Center Association members. Please come up right now. I'd love to pray for you as the pastors of our church lay hands upon you as a picture that you guys aren't out there across the parking lot all by yourselves. (laughs) We love you. We see you as an extension of our, our church's ministries. You're vital. What you're doing in this community is vital. We want to pray for you. We want to affirm your ministries. We want to convey to you our support and our love. Beautiful. Would you stand with us so you will be a picture of this solidarity? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the individuals whose uh, lives are changing other people's lives for your glory. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can this Sunday especially recognize the good work that you're doing through their available lives. Lord, we give you the financial needs of this ministry. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Money is no difficulty to you. And we believe with Hudson Taylor that your work done your way will never lack your supply. Lord, we pray for people to come to this center that stigma and excuses and stubbornness and stiff, stiff-neckedness would not keep people away. Lord, we pray that the lives who have been changed would be walking advertisements for your power to change lives and for the wisdom and the practicality of the Christian Counseling Center being offering rather biblical counsel to people who are hurting. Lord, show us the part you would have each of us to play. May we pray for these standing in the trenches for their discerning, their serving, for their humility, for their judging good from evil. We pray for their admonishing when that is necessary, their cheering up when that is necessary, and their helping when that is necessary. And, oh, God, over it all, give this ministry and the people who work in it patience, knowing that the strongest, most majestic palm doesn't grow overnight. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. For we pray in Jesus' precious name in the body of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let's show our love to these in front.